This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. I want to remind you to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com, where you can access a lot of extra content and learn more about us and the American Modeling Teachers Association, the professional organization that we promote. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. My guest for this episode is Jeremy Sikar. Early in his career, Jeremy was introduced to the work of Lillian McDermott and others involved in the active learning pedagogy in physics. That exposure had a profound influence on his teaching philosophy and his career trajectory. After 17 years of teaching, he took his first modeling workshop in 2015 and immediately found that it transformed his teaching for the better. Since 2019, Jeremy has been an in-demand modeling physics workshop leader. Here's my interview with Jeremy. So hi, Jeremy. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you very much. I'm I'm glad you could join me to to chat about modeling today. Um, I I know you've been uh, teaching since uh, about 1998 or so at the same high school for 23 years. Yes, that's right. This is I'm still at my first grown up job. <laughs> you don't look old enough to have been teaching that long, <laughs> man. I'm I'm really surprised when I saw that. And uh, you focus on uh, AP physics and honors physics at your school. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Awesome. I teach honors 11th grade. And then as a second year course, I teach AP physics C. Yeah. And I noticed that you're also involved with something called your academic challenge team at the school. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is? Yeah, it's uh, like a quiz bowl Jeopardy style competition that we do with uh, area schools. Um, so you know the students in my school who are who are into that sort of thing, uh, you know, like general knowledge competitions. Uh, you know, they just compete against area schools. Yeah, um, it's fun. Yeah, cool. You must be busy because I see you're also the director in the drama club. At the high school, I I was the technical director, oh. um, you know, like working like sound and lighting things like that uh, with the drama club for sixteen years. I I quit that a few years ago um, just because you know family and and all sorts of other things. You know, it was a pretty big uh, time commitment, and so I just couldn't keep it up. But it was a lot of fun, and and it really. Uh, transformed the way that I interacted with students from early in my career and helped me helped me see students in a different way. I would definitely encourage any teacher to to be involved with extracurricular activities with their students. Are you still uh, interested in dramatic arts and theater arts? Yes, uh, for sure. Um, and I, I miss working backstage. Um, because it was just so much fun, you know, like always troubleshooting. You have no idea what's going to go wrong, but, you know, something's going to go wrong. Um, and, you know, like trying to figure out ways on the fly to to fix those things where hopefully like the audience never even sees what you were dealing with backstage. You know, like when you've done your job well in technical theater, nobody even knows what it is that you've been doing. Um, and I just I really enjoyed that challenge. And and also I'm I'm hoping uh, post pandemic, I 
I would like to take an improv course because oh. um, I've never been like never been on stage. Well, except for once a small skit that I did with some students, but uh, never really been on stage and never wanted to be. But just thinking about that as a way of uh, challenging myself and growing and and experiencing what it's like to be a learner out of my own comfort zone. Um, I think that'll be really interesting. So a friend and I hopefully are, are going to do an improv course when we feel safer that the pandemic is behind us. And a, a good friend of mine encouraged me to like, yes, that's a good idea. You should do that. So that's what I'm hoping. Do you see how that might inform and, and uh, connect with you as a teacher in the classroom? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, because, you know, like what we're doing as, as teachers is we're always trying to get our students to, you know, like in some ways you have to be like intellectually uncomfortable. Mm. Like I don't want my students to feel like physically uncomfortable or, or unsafe or anything like that. But like whenever we're learning, there's some intellectual discomfort. And and I think that to, to help me, you know, like fully feel what it feels like to be a student in school, you know, like I need some periodic reminders of that. Mm -hmm. And so putting myself in an intellectually uncomfortable space um, can help me maintain that empathy for, for my students. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about modeling. And uh, I know you've been teaching for a long time, but tell me about, when and how you got connected to the modeling concepts to the uh, to the modeling community? Well, I couldn't possibly tell a story about my relationship to modeling instruction without talking about Holly McTurnan, hmm. um, who is a physics teacher in the the Cleveland area. Um, I'm I'm just outside of Cleveland, and so is Holly. And I've known I've known Holly since just about the beginning of my career, where like I took I took a workshop at Cleveland State University, um, oh about twenty years ago, where that was my first real introduction to like student centered learning, where like I had learned in in my my teacher school classes about you know like students can construct their own meanings and in some of my coursework, but it didn't really feel like, and maybe because I wasn't being taught that by science teachers, but you know, like I never really quite wrapped my head around like, well, how do students just decide what, what's true? That doesn't make any sense to me when I was in teacher school at first, but then I, I took a course at Cleveland state, just grounded in uh, the, the work of Lillian McDermott and her physics education research group at the University of Washington. And we learned there, you know, like ways to help students construct their own understanding. Mm -hmm. and, and that was the first time I really got a good sense of how students can, can build their own understanding of the world where they're not just like making stuff up, but you know, like we're, we're grounding this in evidence and, and, you know, always coming back to, you know, how do you know that what evidence supports your idea and, and really putting student reasoning at the center of our teaching. Uh, and so I, I took this course about 20 years ago and Holly had taken that course the previous summer. 
And so she was a TA for that course. And so that's where I first met Holly. And then like, we just kept on running across each other because we're both people in the Cleveland area who were just really interested in stretching ourselves and growing as teachers and, you know, taking all these workshops and courses being offered in the area to improve our teaching. And so, you know, we just kept running into each other over and over. And then we knew each other through our local chapter of the American Association of Physics Teachers. And, and then, oh, I don't know, maybe 10-ish, plus or minus a few years ago, um, Holly went through the uh, Master of Natural Sciences program at Arizona State. Mm. And where, you know, like that's centered in modeling instruction. Mm -hmm. And, and so then she, she became a modeling instruction leader and Holly was really committed to bringing modeling to the Cleveland area because there were, there were workshops in the Columbus area um, run by Kathy Harper, who I know you've had on the podcast before. Yeah. And, and who was my, my freshman TA uh, in my college physics courses. Mm. Um which that was fascinating to me to find out years later, like, oh, that's like, I know who she is. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was exciting. But Holly, there, there were these uh, workshops being offered like in Columbus, but I never felt like I could take that time away from home, you know, like to just uproot and, you know, go somewhere else for a couple of weeks. So I never took a modeling workshop for years and years, even though I knew about modeling and I wanted to do it, but just never, just never managed to take a course. And then Holly brought modeling to the Cleveland area because, you know, that's just the kind of person Holly is, you know, she's going to find a way to make it happen. And so then, you know, when she offered this course uh, in Cleveland, um, you know, like immediately I'm like, yes, I'm going to sign up for that. And so I took two workshops with Holly in the physics area. And then she recommended me to go to the leadership training so I could lead modeling workshops. And, and I do that now. And so really like my whole journey as an educator, you know, like Holly is a central player in all of that and in my becoming a, a member of AMTA and a modeler and a workshop leader. Um, so much thanks to Holly McTurnan for uh, being such a wonderful human. Yeah. So how did Holly get connected to the whole modeling thing? Was it through her trip to ASU? Yeah. When yeah, okay. Yeah, All she right. was just she was exploring different uh different uh master's degree programs and I think she thought she was going to go to one other place but she's like, "Well, I might as well visit Arizona State." And then um as I remember her telling the story, like as soon as she got to Arizona State, she just fell in love with this program and and it's centered around modeling instruction. And so that was how she got linked up with modeling. Right. So you're also involved with STEM teachers, CLE or Cleveland, I assume the mm -hmm. CLE stands for. Yes. Tell me about your involvement with that organization. About three and a half years ago, uh, we first put the organization together. Um, another physics teacher in the area, Michael Lerner, really spearheaded uh, that move. Um, and, and he's a fantastic teacher and, and he's somebody who, you know, like I, I love to have around, uh, my area, you know, like, because he's somebody I can always bounce ideas off of. And he's got so much great thinking about, uh, teaching, but, um, 
we just started some dialogue, you know, Michael was just thinking like, who do I know around here? Who's a science teacher um, who would want to do this organization with me. And so um, Michael and Holly and myself and uh, a bunch of other wonderful teachers in the area just worked on putting together, uh, you know, like let's put together some bylaws and let's make an organization. And, um, and so like the fundamental idea is, professional development for teachers by teachers, which I think that like that concept, that kind of slogan, I think uh, probably originated with one of the other STEM teachers organizations, probably STEM teachers, NYC would be my guess. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, the, the idea is just that, you know, like teachers sit through professional development all the time where they're thinking like, when's the last time this person's been in a classroom? And, and I know even like in my own school district, our most popular professional development days are the ones that are teacher led because teachers want to hear from other teachers, you know, like what ideas are you doing that work? Right. And I think that there's a lot of room for, you know, philosophical, thinking about teaching from people who aren't in the classroom, but ultimately to translate those things into the classroom takes a lot of work. And so to hear from a teacher who has done it in their classroom and had the successes that we want, like that's what teachers want and need is to hear from other teachers. How can I do a better job of this? And so that's what our our core mission with STEM Teachers CLE is, you know, practicing teachers sharing things that work with other teachers. So how widespread is the modeling methodology in the Cleveland area? Is it uh, spreading as a choice of teachers, especially in the STEM community? Um, I think so. Um, maybe slow but steady growth. Um, there's a, a fair number of teachers around Cleveland who have done the workshops in Columbus, uh, the ones led by mm-hmm. Kathy Harper. Um, and, and then, you know, Holly started some, some workshops in the Cleveland area. And then uh, my school has hosted three modeling workshops. Um, and so it felt like we were, we were starting to get on an upward trajectory with, with running modeling workshops around the Cleveland area and bringing this to more and more people. And then the pandemic hit. And so we haven't run any workshops since the pandemic hit uh, just because, um, well, we haven't run any workshops since the pandemic hit just because like we, we could never feel confident that like, will it be safe? Will we have a school that's committed to giving us space and they won't back out you know, like if things take a turn with the pandemic. So hopefully next summer, we're going to have a biology workshop that we're excited about that we've been trying to do for two years now. Mm. Um, Hopefully that'll happen in summer 2022. Let's talk about your practices in your classroom as a modeler. What, what practices are you finding uh, most effective in your classroom? What are you discovering about your own teaching in your classroom as a modeler? Wow, that's that's a big question. Um, uh huh. Yeah. 
<laughs> I don't even where to where to start. Um, uh. I, I think one of the one of the biggest things that I've just been working at and getting better at over the last several years is ways that we use whiteboards in class mm. um, where I think somebody who's not a modeler might look at that and think like, Oh, that's a place where you share. Like that's a place where students, you know, like show last night's homework mm. and like, okay, that can be one part of it. But really like a lot of times when I have students using whiteboards, like my end goal isn't really even to have them sharing their work with others. The end like the purpose for me choosing that is to have students thinking together, hmm. you know, and, and if I assign them a task, like just yesterday in, in my 11th grade classes, you know, I wanted them to sketch out like, what would it look like if we had this buggy and that buggy moving in these ways? Can you put those on the same set of axes? you know, to just stretch their thinking just a tiny bit. And, and if I had asked them each to draw it on their own paper, then there would be, you know, like in a group of four students, there would be four individuals thinking on their own paper. And then the conversation would be, what did you get? What did you get? What did you do? And, and instead then by having them do it on a whiteboard, then they're negotiating those ideas as they go. Hmm. And so it's, it's four minds, working towards one thing instead of four minds working on four separate things and then deciding how they agree. So like the, the mental processes are different hmm. if they're working on one shared space versus their own spaces. And, and also it's just so much easier to take intellectual risks on a whiteboard because nothing is permanent on a whiteboard. And you know, like if you if you think about students writing out their ideas on a piece of paper, a, a lot of students aren't going to want to commit to writing until they're sure of their ideas. Because when you're writing on paper, like even if you're erasing, you know, like you're on some on some level you're committed, but on a whiteboard you're not really committed to any one idea because it just wipes away in an instant. And so you can do more intellectual risk taking hmm. on a whiteboard. Um, and so, so I'm, I'm using whiteboards like, you know, every year I feel I get better and better at using whiteboards to like making choices about how to use whiteboards to steer, like what are my students going to think about and how are they going to be thinking um, more so than just like, a way for me to see what they're thinking. Hmm. Yeah. So de designing how they think and not just designing uh, a place for me to see what they think. Mm -hmm. What have you learned in your classroom about using a Socratic approach to dialogue in the classroom? Can you tell us a little bit about what your experience in that arena has been? Yeah. And, and that's something that I was, I was working towards even long before I started modeling. Um, like when I had, when I had been learning about uh, Lillian McDermott's work, um, you know, like I, I was trying to, for, for a long time, trying to shift away from 
me telling students, here's a true thing. Uh, because, you know, like every one of us who has ever had any kind of relationship with another human being knows that like telling somebody something and them internalizing that thing are, are not the same. Mm. You know, like we've all told somebody, you know, like a, a friend or, or a family member, you know, like we tell them something and then later on they're like, I didn't know that. How you didn't tell me that. Like, because, you know, saying a true thing in the presence of another human being doesn't make it stuck in their head. And, and so for, for a long time, you know, I, I was trying to find ways to pull student thinking into the center of my classroom. Although, modeling instruction really helped me focus that so much better. Um, and, and so modeling really, um, to me felt like a key piece that I hadn't quite figured out, um, about how to get authentic dialogue from my students, but it's something that I'd been working on for years and years and years. And I had a student, Oh, uh, maybe two or three years ago who, uh, he had me in 11th grade and then again for 12th grade AP physics. And in the spring of his 12th grade year, he asked me a question and I just, I answered his question and then he started laughing and I'm like, what, 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 what are you laughing at? What, what, I wasn't trying to be funny. What, what did I do? And, and he just said like, that's the first time you've ever just answered my question with an answer. <laughs> Instead of a different question. <laughs> and, yeah. and and there definitely is a place in, in talking with students. Like there are definitely times when what they need is a direct answer. Sure. And there are times when a direct answer is just going to stop their, th their thought process. Hmm. And, and it's a real challenge as a teacher to, and we're never going to always get it right. Like we make, we, you know, we make thousands of decisions every day and some of them are going to be the wrong decision, but, but making that choice of how do I keep a student thinking? Do I keep them thinking by giving them a direct answer to this question? Because that's not really the core idea that you know, like, this is something that they're stuck on. That's distracting them from the thing that I really need them, want them to be thinking about. In, in that case, then I want to give a direct answer. But if, if that question is along the lines of the thing that I want them to be thinking about, then I'm a whole lot likelier, I'm very likely to answer that question with a different question, just to help get them thinking about something else that can hopefully help them. Um, you know, my, my goal would be to help them figure out their own answers to their questions. Um, and I don't always succeed, but that's the goal. Um, and so like, it's, it, it's, it's a big challenge um, to, to, to lead that kind of, of dialogue where, where it continues to be productive and, you know, and I certainly make mistakes, but um, you know, and it just takes practice over and over and over again and building up a toolkit there's a great paper that I've lost track of how many times I've read it. Um, it's called the 
the talk science primer or the talk science primer, depending on whether you like the British or American pronunciation. <laughs> um, but the, the talk science primer is a, it's a great paper from, oh, I think it was published around 2012 or so. Um, they're just, you know, like, and, and I love the framing of uh, like what they call talk moves for teachers, you know, where a move is, you know, like just, a thing that a teacher can just, you know, like we can hold in our back pockets to, you know, like when a student does this, you know, like I've got options of how to respond. And so those different talk moves are just different ways of responding based on like, what's my goal? You know, like if I want to elicit uh, more ideas from the rest of the class, like here are some moves you could make to do that. If I want, if I want to see if students are understanding what each other are saying, then there are some moves that I could do to, to pull that out of the group. Um, if I, you know, want to know, like, do students agree or disagree with the different thoughts that they're hearing their classmates saying there are different moves. And so the, the talk science primer really does a good job of laying out like how, how can we as teachers lead good dialogue, lead good discussion um, to get students talking about the things that we want them talking about? And, and whenever I talk with other teachers about, uh, about their work in terms of leading class dialogue, the, the talk science primer is always what I steer them towards is like a first, you know, like you really need to read this paper. If our listeners wanted to find that paper, do you do you know where that might be found? Yeah, um, and actually, I'm pretty sure. Like, if you just Google "talk science primer," it is like the PDF of it is like the first hit that comes up uh, on a okay. on a Google search. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I assume then that it's freely accessible. Right. We'll uh, we'll look for a link and and post it on the website so people can uh, go find it there. That's great. Um, It sounds like a really good resource. We'll get back to my interview with Jeremy in just a moment. But I want to let you know that the AMTA is always looking for ways to connect the modeling community. You'll now find the AMTA on Instagram. Search at AMTA Teachers. Post pictures of your whiteboards and share what's going on in your modeling classroom. Use a hashtag modeling instruction. So let me ask you, um, what's a secret that you wish you had known before you started modeling that you've discovered that you wish you had had in your pocket earlier? I think to me, the biggest thing probably is how before I was modeling, I really wanted student engagement and student dialogue. And like I said, I had been working on, on those moves to, to get dialogue with my students, but I never felt like I was successful enough at it. Um, And, and the thing that as soon as I realized it from my modeling workshops, like after the fact, you know, it feels obvious, but before then, like it had apparently never crossed my mind that inviting students to, you know, like join a discussion isn't necessarily enough. Um, 
because it's so much easier uh, as a student to to sit and listen than to than to choose to jump into a discussion. Uh, and so you just aren't going to get the same level of success unless you structure your classes so that students talking about their work is just built into the structure of the class. And that's where like with modeling, having our um, what we generally refer to as board meetings where, you know, like after students have done a thing uh, like where they've worked on some common experience, then, you know, like we're all sharing our whiteboards of our work and, you know, like we're in a, like we arrange ourselves so that we can all see everybody else's work and we can see everybody else. And then we can talk about like, what similarities do we see? What differences do we see? And so that just creates a class structure that makes talking about that makes students talking about their thinking is just built right into the structure of the class instead of say me standing at the front of the room saying like, all right, who notices something interesting? <laughs> just silence, yeah. you know, because, because nobody's going to want to like, Ooh, let me dive into that. Um, because, you know, like humans, we like to be right and we don't want to like it. And it takes, it's a real intellectual risk to just put your thoughts out there. And, and as, as modelers, I think we have to always be conscious of that. Like we're asking our students to take intellectual risks. And so to, to help them, we need to structure our classes in ways that, um, where the norm is, okay, now it's your turn to talk about what you're noticing, what you did, what you think this means, uh, to make it the norm for students to talk about their own experiences. And, and also, I think what's really important there is that these teaching methods can be great for elevating student voices. But we also have to be really, really, really careful that when we open up dialogue to the room and we put students in the center, we have to be careful that we're not accidentally amplifying any differences in terms of like um, cultural status. So there are some built-in societal norms about who does science and who is science for? And if we're not conscious about managing the discourse in our room, then we can unintentionally amplify those differences. If you Google famous physicists, I'm a physics teacher, so physicist is what first comes to my mind. If you Google famous physicists, then what comes up is a long list of white men hmm. and maybe you get Marie Curie in there somewhere. Um, but it's generally uh, a list of white men and, you know, and, and if you watch TV shows like big bang theory, then they reinforce these cultural expectations that we have about who is physics for who does physics um, who is a physics person. And, and we need to be really careful that we, uh, 
that we push back against those norms and our students don't show up to class expecting anything other than what's been culturally laid out for them, um, you know, like in, in American society. And so we have to be responsible for pushing back against that. And so if we're not careful with how we manage that discourse in our classrooms, then we can unintentionally amplify that idea that, you know, like, well, physics is for white men and they're the real leaders here. And so we have to be really careful about making sure that everybody in our classroom has a voice, that everybody in our classroom is valued, and that there are a lot of ways, a lot of different ways to be a good science student other than be the person who gets right answers all the time so that we can work on breaking those norms of who is served by physics and who belongs in physics. Because if my students don't feel like they belong here, then they're never going to, then I'm not putting them in a position where they can feel like this is a class that's really for them, where they can be successful and enjoy it. Um, and, and I find uh, one resource that I really like, um, and full disclosure, this is my third year of officially working uh, with the Step Up program um, from APS, AAPT, um, and uh, Florida International University and uh, and some other organizations. Um, so Step Up is an organization where um, we're actively seeking to uh, to break people's perceptions of of those norms and to change the culture that surrounds physics. And you know, like, what does a physicist do? And like, who does their work benefit? And what does a physicist look like? Uh, we want to we want to break the the cultural norms that that surround those things, hmm. and and one of the resources from Step Up uh, is a set of guidelines for classroom conduct during discussion, and I've got posters of that on different walls of my room, and you know so we can talk about those and like why do these things matter to us in our in our discourse in class. And so then it's really easy. And, you know, like one thing that and, and early in the school year, especially I have to keep on coming back to is to, you know, like to balance your talking and your listening. Um, because there are some students and, you know, this happens every year where there are some students who like as soon as I pose a question, they're ready to answer it. They want to pounce on answering that question. But then when there's somebody who is, and I appreciate their eagerness, really, um, but also when there's somebody who's just always talking whenever I ask a question, then that's going to send other students the message that, like, well, they're just going to talk anyway. And, and what we especially have to be careful of is students talking over other students. You know, and when that happens, like, no, 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 this person's talking right now. Um you need to wait. But, uh, and so after talking about the why of that, then it becomes a whole lot easier to just, you know, like point to that poster and remind, you know, like, Hey, I just want to remind you of this norm that we have here when we're in discussion that, you know, like we want to value everybody's voice because every different person in this room 
has a voice that matters and we're going to do our best work as a collective group of humans when we're hearing a broad diversity of viewpoints. And so if we're, if we're missing somebody's voice, we're definitely not going to be doing the best work we can do as a community of people who do science. And so for that reason, you know, I appreciate your enthusiasm for this, but you need to balance your talking and your listening. Um, and another, another great uh, phrase that I picked up from, uh, from my friend, Chris Newton, who uh, has, I've worked with her on leading a couple of uh, modeling workshops. Um, W-A-I-T, wait, why am I talking? And also, why aren't I talking? You know, just as a reminder for students, you know, like, do people really need to hear your opinion for the 18th time today? Um, versus, you know, like, you haven't spoken up in class all week long. Why not? You know, and, and I don't want to phrase, I'm not going to say that out loud to them, but, you know, like, why haven't you been speaking in class? Like, that's just going to make them feel worse. Um, but to to encourage them, you know, like, reflect on, you know, like, why haven't you been saying anything? And, and certainly, like, if there's something unintentional that I'm doing, I want to know about it for sure. Um, please give me that feedback. But, also, you know, like, is there a reason that you're not talking? And is there a thing that we can do to address that? You know, just to help everybody feel like they have a voice in the class is essential. Um, and so like the resources from step up, I find to be really helpful for that. And to just like constantly continuously monitor the, the vibe of the room, you know, like is, are we hearing from the same people over and over? Because if we are, we need to actively work on changing that. Um, and what can I do? What strategies can I do um, to pull out different voices in the room? And it just takes constant monitoring. I think the whole idea of equity in the classroom is so important in today's world. Teachers in general in the classroom need to be very aware as you're speaking, there are so many ways that equity can play out in the classroom. Uh, it, you know, equal voice time for the students and creating an environment that allows and encourages that is very important. And I'm really glad to hear you talking about this subject because it's very important uh, today. Thanks. So I'm going to ask you to think about your number one tip for, uh, let's say, someone's listening and they're a relatively new modeler or new to the even the idea of modeling, what would be your best tip that you would give to our listeners about teaching and modeling methodology? I think the thing that is most on my mind today, um, just because I I had a yesterday in class like out of my three 11th grade classes like two of them felt like they went just the way i would want them to go and one of them felt like everything i did was wrong <laughs> and 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 also then you know like the one that i carried home with me was the one where everything just like every choice i made went wrong um 
instead of the two positive experiences, like I'm, you know, bringing home with me the one where I struggled. Um, and, and so something that I think is just really important as a continuous reminder and for myself, because I've been teaching for two plus decades, like I have enough positive experiences and I have enough feedback. I have enough evidence that tells me like that in the big picture, like what I'm doing is better for my students than other choices I could make. And so it, it can be really easy, I think, for a new modeler to feel frustrated, you know, especially because we're changing the rules at the beginning of the school year, especially like we're changing the rules for our students on what does it mean to be a good student? You know, like I have and teaching honors students in 11th grade, like they have an expectation in general, like they know how school works and they know how to succeed in that system. And we live in a society that, that values high grades, you know, the, the learning doesn't even matter. It's the grades that matter. Um, and, and so they know how to get high grades, you know, scholarships are tied to their grades. Scholarships aren't tied to how much they've learned. Um, college admissions are tied to their GPA, not how much they've learned. Uh, and so students have learned reasonably so because they get rewards for high grades. They don't get rewards for good learning. Mm. You know, th they've, they've learned how to work the system and now we're changing the rules of the system. Mm -hmm. And so you can definitely get pushback by students at the beginning of the year. And, and so it can be really easy when, when you feel like your students aren't buying into this, it can be really easy to surrender, you know, like, why am I fighting this? You know, and, and, you know, like, so when, when a new modeler takes a, a modeling workshop, they can be really excited maybe in the summertime when they do their workshop. And, you know, like, so then they try implementing these new ideas in the fall and then they get they get pushback from students. Maybe they get pushback from administrators or parents, and and so it can be easy to go back to something that's easier. And then, especially you know, like as we get further into the fall and we just feel more and more tired, it can feel so easy to to fall back on ways that we've done things before and move away from those uh those modeling moves that we learned in the summertime and so for for a new modeler then i would say you know like you know you've got to find some support find a support system um where you know like you're reminded of like why are you trying to do these things in the first place like there's a reason why you wanted to pursue modeling after you took that workshop and when you started school in the fall. And so to, to have some way of knowing like, yes, this is worth, this is worth the struggle right now. Mm. Um, and, and that means a support system of other humans who, who know what you're trying to do and why. And that means, um, you know, having some conviction that like, yes, I am doing, 
even if it might not be popular right now, I'm doing what I think is best for my students. And so, you know, I need to, to carry on doing this because I do have reasons why. Hmm. Yeah. And, and having that support structure makes all the difference in the world. And, you know, and, and I'm an experienced teacher, um, but, you know, I still have, I still have days where I feel bad about my teaching. And so, you know, like I've got a small group of close friends who are also modeling teachers. And, you know, so like after, after my classes yesterday, you know, like where I had one that just didn't feel like it went right, you know, like the first thing I did was, you know, like I texted those friends because, you know, because I trust them and they can give me some perspective on like some perspective on my own teaching. Um, they can give me the feedback that I need and, and having a group of people like that makes all the difference. Mm, yeah. That's great. Makes me uh, want to ask you about your connections with the AMTA and how have you found it as a resource for support and connection? Um, I think meeting other teachers through AMTA who share my outlook on teaching, who share my outlook on humanity um, has just made a, a huge difference for me um, in, in having that support network or, uh, you know, like, and so there's a support network of like close friends who are modelers who, um, you know, like I tell them anything. Um, yeah. But then also having a, a wider network of people in AMTA who, you know, like, well, I know that, um, I know that these people are really good with standards-based grading. Hmm. I know that, um, you know, this person um, has done a whole lot of work on, uh, on gender in physics. Hmm. And I know that, you know, this person has done a lot of, you know, and, and so just knowing a lot of people who I know have really dug into and thought a lot about the things that I care about, this wider network of teachers in AMTA, you know, then, then I can turn to those people as, as resources. Um, and so, you know, through AMTA, through the AMTA discord, through Twitter, um, you know, like I can be connected with teachers who really understand why and how I'm looking for help on some specific things. And, and that's just so valuable. Mm. That's great. Well, Jeremy, it's been awesome talking with you. Uh, I, I really want to thank you for sharing your perspectives. I think you've had some very valuable and uh, informative things to share with our listeners. And so I just want to say thank you very much for the work you're doing and for the time you took to spend with me today. Sure. Thank you, Mark. It's been good. Hope you have a, a wonderful rest of the season. Thanks. You too. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Science Modeling Talks. 
head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence in your classroom. 